0: When you let your anger go unresolved, it commands your energy, consumes your every thought, and causes catastrophic overreactions. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah illustrates this point with an example from the story of David. With encouragement for keeping anger at arm's length, here's Dr. Jeremiah to introduce today's powerful message from The Tender Warrior David and Abigail.
1: Somebody asked me the other day, does it ever get easier? I mean, the Christian life, does it Does it ever get easier? Well, here's a good example. Here is David having won the battle of revenge against Saul, and in the next chapter, he's going to kill somebody. You say, how could that happen? Well, that's the way life is. You You win one battle, and you think you've arrived, and then the next thing you know, Satan has thrown something else at you that you weren't ready for. But uh, I want you to know David is spared by a, a wonderful woman by the name of Abigail. We'll, we'll learn about her in the story we tell today. Hey, we're going to Israel. I want to tell you how, how, how excited I am about this. I'm going to talk about it a lot because I don't want you to miss it. We're leaving on the 12th of March, 2024. We'll leave for Israel. We'll get there on the 13th, and we'll be in the central coast in the Jezreel Valley, the Galilee region, Golan Heights, northern boundaries. On the 17th, we'll go to the lower Jordan River Valley. And then the 18th through the 21st, we'll be in Jerusalem in the Old City, the Judean Wilderness, the Dead Sea. Uh, We'll visit so many beautiful places. My favorite uh, places are the Sea of Galilee and our meeting in the boats out on the water. I also love uh, the southern steppes. I love the Garden Tomb Ceremony with communion. I love visiting all these special places. Men and women, we don't always know how many times we'll have the privilege of doing something like this. So if God's put it within your means to do this, I hope you'll sign up and go with us. By the way, Michael Sanchez will be there, Uriel Vega. We're going to have great music and great meetings, great hosts, great captains, beautiful buses. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You don't want to miss it. Once again, the dates are March the 12th through the 22nd. More information is available at davidjeremiah.org slash events. Well, let's get into our story. Uh, we are in the 25th chapter of First Samuel. Here is part one of David and Abigail.
2: The word spread rapidly throughout Israel. Samuel the prophet was dead. Samuel the prophet who had Given Israel her first king, who had already anointed her second king, Samuel the prophet was dead. And apparently there was a truce called between David and Saul, for the scripture tells us in the outset of the 25th chapter that when Samuel died, all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in the house of Ramah and David, who was there for that ceremony, arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. As soon as the funeral of Samuel was over and everything was finished, David left and headed for the sparsely populated region of Paran, which was south of Judah. Since Paran was near the border of Israel, it was often the target of the many raids by the Philistines and the Amalekites who as marauders would come across the border and attack the sheep herders and the farmers who lived in that region. It is at this point that our story today begins with David's life. It was the custom in the sparsely populated regions near the border It was the custom for groups of soldiers or mercenaries to provide protection for the sheepherders. As David comes to this part of the country with his men, his 600 men, he does exactly what the custom was. He provides for the people who have gathered there. Protection. And one of the farmers who had some sheep in that area of Paran, was a man by the name of Nabal. And David protected his people and watched over them. In fact, we can put it in the words of the grateful sheepherders themselves, whose words are recorded for us in 15 and 16 of chapter 25. They're describing what David did for them as they watched their sheep in that wilderness. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, "...neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. And they were a wall unto us both by night and day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep." So David and his 600 men, while they were in that part of the southern section of Israel down below Judah, they provided protection for the sheep herders. Now it was also the custom in that day that when such a protection was provided that there was a reciprocal arrangement between the sheepherders and the soldiers. And when the soldiers would be in need, they would be able to ask of those that they had helped, and often they would be provided with food and perhaps clothing and maybe even shelter. And so it was quite naturally that David brought ten of his men in one day after they had been in the wilderness of Paran for a while, And instructed them that they should go and visit the wealthy sheepherder whose providence they had protected. And we are told in verses 4 through 9 that it was like this. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came and spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and they ceased. Now what is happening here is a very normal and natural part of the custom of the day. The sheep were being sheared by Nabal. That was sort of like the time when you get paid. That's when all the money comes from your faithfulness as a shepherd. They're going to sell the wool. And David knows that this is a time when the money is gathered. And so he sends 10 of his men up. And he goes as a very gracious emissage to them and says, Listen, we've helped you. We've protected you and as God has blessed you now send back by these servants whatever you will he didn't set a price he just said could you help us and obviously I'm sure David expected that he would receive in return some dressed lambs maybe some goats perhaps some milk or whatever it is they might have to send by way of the servants David's men had contributed to the wealth and prosperity of Nabal and now Nabal should expect to care for them in the matter of this simple request. But what happens next is the story that is before us in this 25th chapter. It is, in essence, a tale of three people, and I would like to suggest that we refer to these three people as a foolish farmer, a furious soldier, and a faithful wife. Notice, first of all, the foolish farmer. When David sent his men to speak to Nabal's household concerning the expected gift, they were not received very warmly. In fact, in verses 10 and 11, we read of the response. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not where they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told David all these sayings. Now you get the impression immediately that Nabal is not your normal, natural, gracious man. In fact, he is described in several ways in this text. First of all, we learn that he is a very wealthy man verse 2 describes him, is a man who lived in one part of the world and had possessions in another part. He lived in Maon, whose possessions were in Carmel. And the scripture says that the man was very great and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And now he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The time of shearing was a time of partying and festivity It was like the old westerns portrayed when they took the cattle to market and they stayed in the town and went to the saloons and partied and lived it up. This was the time of shearing for the shepherds. But this man Nabal was not only wealthy, he was wicked too. He was a wicked man. In fact, he is described in verse 3 like this. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings. Now the word churlish is not a word that we normally use in our vocabulary today, but it is a word that means to be overbearing, to be obnoxious, to be uh, unreasonable with the inferiors around you, to be intolerable, to flaunt your prosperity, just to be a very ugly person. And that's what the Bible says that Nabal was like. He was filthy rich and just as filthy wicked. Now if you want to know what a man is like, one of the ways you can find out about him is to ask somebody that works for him. And we're just about to get a little bit of a a report on Nabal from one of his servants. One of his servants is going to tell what Nabal is like. And he is talking now about him in verse 17. He's actually talking to Nabal's wife, but notice how he describes his boss. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. That's what his servant said about Nabal. He said, listen, he is such a son of the devil, you can't even talk with the man. He's unreasonable. You can't even hold a conversation with him. Now, if you don't think you can find out what a man is like by talking to somebody that works for him, The next best place to go is to ask his wife. When you ask his wife, you will learn a great deal about him. So we are going to ask Nabal's wife what he is like, and she is very glad to respond. You will find Abigail's response in verse 25. She is talking with David about her husband, and she says... Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial. She agrees with the servant that he's a son of the devil. Even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now, the word Nabal, the actual word Nabal, is a Hebrew word for fool. So, Abigail says, This man I'm married to lives up to his name. He is a fool. Now in the context of the Old Testament, to be a fool did not mean to be a moron so much as it meant to be a man who lived his life apart from God, independent, as if he could do it all himself without regard to other people in this churlish way and manner of Nabal. And Abigail says, well, if that's what the servant said, he's absolutely right. I agree with him. My husband lives up to his name. He's a churlish man. He's a wicked man. He's a fool. Now, one cannot deny that there are Nabals everywhere in our world today, churlish men who cannot say thank you for anything and who make life miserable for everyone who is around them. Nabal had been helped greatly by David and his men, but rather than respond in gratitude, he deflects the request by actually suggesting in his conversation with the servants that David is probably causing an uprising against Saul. do You remember what he said? He said, there's a hundred people that have loosed themselves from their masters. How do I know who this rebel is? He knew. He knew exactly what David and his men had done, but he had decided that he didn't want to give up any of his precious money or produce, and so he deflected the question by accusing David of something evil. Now this is the foolish farmer. Enter the furious soldier. When David's servants return and tell him how gracious Nabal has been to his request, to put it mildly, David began to burn. And in the 12th verse, we read, David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told David all these things. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword and they girded on every man his sword and David also girded on his sword And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 stayed by the stuff Now you don't put on your sword to go have a council You put on your sword because you're going to do something And David has decided he is going to take Nabal out totally Totally In fact, there are two verses in this text that every pastor wishes weren't there because they're described in very rude language and simply they mean that David was going to go up there and kill every man-child that belonged to Nabal. And that was his purpose. Now I need to say something here about David. He's got one enemy, Nabal, but he takes 400 men with him. And I would just make this observation that we seem to be picking up along the way from the study of David's life. And that is when we have unchecked anger, we have a tendency to overreact. Do you remember remember what Saul did when he got mad at David back in chapter 24 and verse 2? He comes after David with 3,000 of Israel's best soldiers. And now David's doing the very same thing. He is so angry at Nabal, he leaves 200 men to watch over his stuff. He gets the 400 best soldiers he's got, and he said, let's go get him. We'll get him now. And he is angry. If you read verses 21 and 22 of the text, you can discover that when David gets there, which is a little bit of a journey, he is seething. He is literally seething. He is speaking to himself. Surely in vain have I kept all this fella hath in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertained to him And he hath requited me evil for good, and I'm gonna get him I am gonna get him And I've sort of wondered what was going through David's mind as he marched up there. I can just about play it back for you I have had enough There is no excuse for this sorry sheep herder to treat me like this I have done everything a man could do to help him and then he throws it up in my face. If I let this go by, I won't be able to look myself in the mirror. No one can mess with me like this. I might have to take this kind of stuff from the anointed of the Lord, but I am not going to be put on like this by an uncommon farmer. He's dead meat. Got the picture? David is more than a little mildly upset. Enter Abigail, a foolish farmer and a furious soldier and now a faithful wife. And I need to say how impressed I am with this woman. And if any of you have named your children Abigail, you have made a good choice. What a wonderful woman, certainly one of the unsung heroines of the Old Testament. What a model woman she was. And I would like to suggest to you as we unfold the final chapter of this chapter— some characteristics of this woman that set her apart from many women today. She was a very interesting lady. She was a faithful wife. And she is about to be used by God to deflect the anger of God's servant and keep him from making a terrible mistake. But that is not just an episode in her life, that's characteristic of her life because she had the following qualities. First of all, she was a good woman. She is described back at the beginning of the chapter in verse 3 as Abigail and the woman was of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Now she was good in two ways. First of all, she was good in the mind. She was a wise woman. The scripture says she had things together up here. She had her mind together. And the Bible also says in very frank language. She was together bodily, too Because the scripture says she was a beautiful countenance. That's an Old Testament euphemism for she was put together quite well Now you don't often find that either in a man or in a woman good looks and brains all wrapped up in one and Abigail had it She was a good woman in fact If you follow her and see what she does, and we'll get to that in a moment, when she confronts David as an intercessor for her own husband, there is every evidence of her gracious spirit. First of all, in verse 23, we notice that she comes upon David and she falls on her face and she bows herself to the ground before David. And then if you go through the text, you will discover that she describes herself as a maidservant some six times. She refers to David as the Lord some eight times, and laced throughout the passage is this little phrase, I pray thee, I pray thee, I pray thee, which is equivalent to our pleas. It's interesting to point out her gracious spirit because, remember, her husband was churlish. And churlish is as close to the opposite of gracious as you can get in the human language so that everything Nabal was she was not or to say it in a better way she was everything she should be in opposition to Nabal who was such an evil man which tells us one thing it tells us that you don't have to become like the person you live with if that person is not like God somehow she had escaped the evil obnoxious spirit of her husband and she stood above all of that and she was the epitome of graciousness when she met with David number three I'm overwhelmed at what this woman did here is a band of angry soldiers coming after her husband to kill him and to kill every male in the camp and one of the servants escaped and came and I watch carefully he didn't come and warn Nabal He came and told Abigail what was going on. Verse 14, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were good to us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields, and they were a wall unto us. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. Isn't it interesting that the servant escaped and came and told Abigail instead of Nabal? He knew to tell Nabal would do no good at all, so he came to Abigail. Now, Abigail's response... Is one of the most gallant responses you could ever expect from a woman in a situation like that it's unbelievable what she did the scripture says in verse 18 that Abigail made haste took 200 loaves two bottles of wine five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched corn a hundred clusters of raisins 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys you talk about overkill (laughs) and she said to her servants go on before me behold I come after you and she told not her husband Nabal she was a smart lady and it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill and behold david and his men came down against her and she met them and then she began to plead for her husband hmm. can you imagine the courage that it must have taken for abigail to do that she had absolutely no knowledge of how david might respond to her he had already expressed his intentions to kill everybody in nabal's household and she had no way of knowing if David would requite or if he would take the anger out on her. But in courage and in gallantry, she took the initiative to try to stem the tide of this man's anger and to save her unworthy husband and her household. She was a gallant woman.
1: Abigail, oh, I love Abigail. If you got a daughter named Abigail, you should stop and thank God for this woman's life because she is a, a tremendous lady. We'll have part two of this tomorrow. I hope you'll be with us, David and Abigail, part two tomorrow right here on this good station. In the meantime, uh, men and women, there is a, a wonderful opportunity for you to get a resource. Just a few days left for this to be available. It's called The Focused Life. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful uh, presentation. Um, the Psalms and Proverbs bound into one volume where you're reading five Psalms and one chapter out of Proverbs. And if you know the Bible, you know there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So you can do Psalms and Proverbs in a month. And reading them together is really, really uh, informative because, you see, Psalms tells you about God. Proverbs tells you about life on this earth. Uh, Someone said, Psalms causes you to look up, and Proverbs makes sure you keep your feet on the ground. Reading them together, five Psalms, one chapter out of Proverbs— It's a really good discipline. Why don't you try it? I'll I'll make sure this book gets to you when you send your gift to Turning Point this month, and you can put this together and get after it yourself. Ask for it when you send your gift today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow right here on this good station. Don't forget to join us for part two of David and Abigail.
0: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you
1: know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word.
2: And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry.
1: And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic
2: monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org.
0: Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb
1: I read the sad news recently of a man who, while enjoying an outing on a California beach, dug a hole 10 feet deep in the sand. But the fragile walls of sand collapsed on him, and he died before rescuers could save him. Hearing that news, I thought about Jesus' parable about the man who built a house on the sand. Predictably, when the waves and storms crashed against it, the house was destroyed. Whatever we do in life, We need to avoid fragile situations and foundations that can crash upon us. Only God's truth is strong enough to protect us as we build our lives. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's truth on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life.